Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to worship at the altar of music and comedy. The giddiness and the harmony of a well-crafted comedy song brings great joy in abundance. Join the tinkling talents of David Thames and me, Phil Nickel. Sit back, turn it up, and enjoy Songs in the Key of Laugh. Hey gang, welcome back to our podcast, Songs in the Key of Laugh. I'm Phil Nickel. I'm David Timms. And what a, we got a great episode. This is episode, what I'm not sure what I think we're episode right? nine, what ten, nine? There's nine, one of them. Nine. Nine. And we have an amazing episode. Now, now this episode, uh, we decided to discuss uh, Americana, like American comedy songs, um, from the earliest days of American comedy songs through to what's the most relevant. Um so that's what we're going to be discussing. On and be, being being Canadian, you know everything there is to know about Americana, <laughs> oh, don't you? Exactly. I'm, I am. I am Mr. Americana. Thought, but yeah. Americana includes Canada. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair there's been great, some great Canadian comedy songs. Well, I've written a few of them. I saw, oh, that's sounds horrible. Me saying I wrote great Canadian. Comedy I didn't songs. want to say it. Uh... On this show, we've got this comedy song contest, right? Yes, it's a competition. It's a contest. It's a competition. Uh, we've got a great, great uh, song this week. About a horse, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which fits into our Americana. The cowboys. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, we've also got a phenomenal guest. <laughs> oh, we do. We do. Uh, this week, we have been so lucky to get Rich Hall on the show. Here, yeah, Rich. Rich performs as a character, Otis Lee Crenshaw. Yeah, is a recidivist uh, yeah. convict from Tennessee. Yeah. arrested on charges of uh, trumped up charges of uh, possession of endangered coral. <laughs> Married six times. All oh, the women named Brenda. Yeah, got a Brenda tattoo. I remember yeah. that. It's, like, yeah. it's big. Yeah. It's like right down one arm. Yeah. <laughs> no. So I I remember when you invented that character um, because you. So the American comedy songbook is vast. It's huge. I mean, all from going back. I mean, further than Louis Jordan. Do you know? Do you know much about Louis Jordan? I don't know much. About oh, he's Louis like a, he's like a sort of an, an early jazz. So he he goes like, "Dad gum your hat, boy. Dad gum your dirty hat. Dad gum your dirty dog. I gave you the pig and you wanted a hog." He did like, there ain't, there ain't nobody here but those chickens. I mean, it's just funny. <laughs> He did, and he's like, you know, open the door, Richard, open the door and let me in. It's about a guy who's drunk. I'm drunk again. <laughs> Just, but it was comical, but it was, but the music's amazing. Like the, the music is phenomenal. I learned that um, about Louis Jordan through Joe Jackson, uh, the British singer who did a whole album called Jump and Jive, I think it was called. Um, that is something to check out. If you're into com- musical comedy songs, check out a little bit of Louis Jordan. But it go, but from early, from those early days through to, I don't know, like stuff like Sarah Silverman. You know, do you yeah, know, yeah. Um, you know, it's, was it Jesus's magic? I think, but she, she's, you know, pretty hardcore. Her songs are pretty hardcore. I think there's one called AIDS Ballad, which I, I don't know if that would be something you would necessarily get away with anymore. But, I don't think you would, no. And then there's Steve Martin, who 
known as a comedian. He's that song, I'm a rambling. He played the banjo, I'm a rambling man, I'm a rambling. I'm rambling. I'm a rambling guy. Have you seen Rambling Guy? I, I have seen it, yes. Yeah. I've seen it, seen it on yeah. YouTube, yeah. Yeah, but he's so amazing. He's actually now, and he's ended up winning a Grammy Award for playing the banjo. He's a phenomenal banjo player, isn't he? So, yeah, I mean, banjos, does banjos sort of lend themselves to comedy, I think, somehow? I think they do. I think it's it's that ridiculous, the sound. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very, you've got to be quite talented to play banjo. Finger picking's not easy. Yeah. Uh, do you play the banjo, Phil? I've got a banjo. I can't say no, I play no, no. it. Yeah, you've got, but you've got a theremin. I've not learned, <laughs> I've not learned the role on the banjo quite yet. Um, Ross Noble plays the banjo. Does he? Yeah. Huh. Maybe we get him on the show and talk about it. I don't know if he'd consider himself a musical comedian, but he was in a musical. He was in um, um, Young Frankenstein. I think we should definitely get him on then. Yeah. Okay. Got to get him on. If you're listening, Ross, please come on our podcast. Thanks, Ross. Um, So I've been looking around, Phil, uh, because we were doing Americana. I thought I'm going to have a look at some really cool country ballads. Yeah. Right? There's There's a a lot, lot. There's a lot of funny... I mean, knowingly funny country comedy songs. There is, there is. But I do like the way that in a lot of country music, they they have like a kind of tongue-in-cheek thing going on. Like in Stand By Your Man, mm. for example. Right. Um, sometimes it's hard to be a woman giving all your love to just one man. I, I, I think it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek just in general, that whole song. But it's, mm. it's a really beautiful number. Yeah. Um, but then you also have the other extreme of the spectrum where you have songs like, uh, I was looking, there was one called My Dog, yeah. um, which is about somebody wishing that their dog was their <laughs> wife rather than... <laughs> I don't know if that's acceptable. I don't, it's absolutely not acceptable. There's also there's also oh, there's there's that uh, the John Denver one. Please, Daddy, don't get drunk this Christmas. Oh my God! Please, Daddy, don't get drunk this Christmas. I don't want to see my mama cry. Oh my God! That's so depressing. <laughs> that's really funny. Um, you've also there's um there was a song having a beer with jesus having a beer with jesus yeah, yeah that, that 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 was quite there's, I, not, there's, a, there's not a country song but there's a song called jogging for jesus if you're if you guys google jogging for jesus and it's great it's one of my favorite comedy songs jogging for jesus yeah, i don't think they think it's a comedy song i think it's a serious song but jogging for jesus okay well uh, i i found i found one that i really uh that i thought i'd share okay um it's a bit of a like a country bluesy style one um it goes like this You're the reason I'm round and round on recap tires. You're the reason I'm hanging all our clothes on wires. You're the reason our kids are ugly, little darling. But looks ain't everything, and money ain't everything. But I love you just the same. 
You're the reason our kids are ugly. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, now, it's, it's I, strong. I, I, that's a, you know, it's a comedy song, but it's not really, it's comical. It's, but it's, it's heartfelt. It's a love song. It is. I mean, it go it goes on later on. Uh, I guess we won't have any. Uh, I guess we won't ever have any everything we need, because um, when we get ahead, it's just another mouth to feed. Right. And then it says, uh, and that's the reason that my good looks and figure have gone. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite heartfelt. It's very um, a very Randy Newman esque sound. That who who wrote that song? Um, oh, I, do, uh, I think it was written by Conway Twitty. Oh, Conway Twitty. Oh, gosh, I love Conway Twitty. I mean, the, the other great Americana writers are people like John Prine, Doc Watson, John Prine. Yeah. And John Prine. But John Prine wrote serious music. I mean, the, the man's amazing. It was amazing. Well, uh, you just, but you just mentioned, um, you just mentioned Randy Newman as well. Yeah, Randy Newman. Randy Newman, he's won, he's won many, uh, many of, like award yeah he's, well, a, he's, he's won, won oscars. oscars yeah he has but he's the guy that wrote short people i don't remember that go up short people i don't know it goes short, it go, um, short, uh, people, short people, people in god no uh hold go. on one sec i think it's uh da, 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 da. short people got no reason short people ain't got no reason short people ain't got no reason to live that's a great tune they got little hands and little <laughs> eyes walk around telling great big lies they got little noses and tiny little teeth they wear little platform shoes on their nasty little feet well i don't want no short people around here that's great i mean that's just so funny so I was listening to this series called The Bottom Line. I think it's called the Bottom Line Archive series, and it's and what. But basically, it's a songwriter's um, recordings, and they do it live at the Bottom Line. And they have people like Billy Bragg and Suzanne Vega, um, you know, John Cale. I mean, they've, they've had all these uh, Rick Ocasek, all these amazing songwriters. They sing one of their own songs live in front of an audience, and then they sing. They choose a song, their favorite song, they sing at, and it's a really it's really worth listening to the bottom line if you can find it anywhere um or you find it online <laughs> online but one of the songs i heard on it was years ago was uh, a john prine song and it just it just made it just made me howl so i'm going to play it for it i packed my bags and bought myself a ticket for the land of the tall palm tree aloha old milwaukee Hello, Waikiki. Just stepped out from the airplane when I heard her say, Waka waka nuka luka, waka naka luka luka, would you like a lay? <laughs> Let's talk dirty in Hawaiian, whisper in my ear. Kikapuka make a wakahini are the words I long to hear. Lay your coconut on my tiki. What the heck, a muka muka dear? Let's talk dirty in Hawaiian. Are the words I long to hear? <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's Fred Kohler and John Prine. So there's a lot of like smut in American songs, like Americana uh, comedy songs. I mean, I think like we've always said on the podcast that um. Um, scatological humor is a big part of 
making people laugh, isn't it? Of course it is. Yeah, I do think I do think that there's a lot of a lot of old songs that are very misogynistic, and uh, I think that it's it's quite important to stay away from that <laughs> nowadays. Well, but um... <laughs> well, yeah, I guess it's just the they were signs of the times. And now I I wanted to talk about Frank Zappa because although we could do an entire episode on Frank Zappa. Because um, he's not purely a comedy songwriter, but he wrote some great comedy songs like "Don't Eat Yellow Snow" or "Catholic Girls." Or... Did he invent "Don't Eat Yellow Snow" as a thing? Mm, I don't think so. I think that's a. I mean, I've always known that as a Canadian idea, but maybe he did. Everything with you, everything's Canadian, isn't it? <laughs> well, I'm, Baked like, beans, was... Canadian. They're... Chips, Canadian. Pizza, Canadian. Honestly, you say chips, you mean crisps. <laughs> and they're Canadian, are they? Frank Zappa. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Zappa stood for, like, stood up for anti-censorship. I mean, it was part, a huge part of his career. Um, and it's, it's odd coming from, you know, coming just being a musician or just being a musician, but just standing up for, you know, being, he's, he, was, he, did, he didn't take drugs himself, but he was against the war on drugs. And he, he stood up for... Say, being able to say and do anything. And I think that's that's why I admired Frank Zappa. But he had a song called Catholic Girls, Catholic Girls. And it's kind of rude and funny, but it's also, but it is kind of sums up Catholic Girls and from his perspective. But in the song Catholic Girls, he goes, Catholic Girls. And the little girls go, Warren Cuccarello. They say this name of a guy, Warren Cuccarello. Do you, know right. who, do you know who Warren Cuccarello no. is? Who's that? Well, Warren Cuccarello was one of the mothers of invention. He was in Frank Zappa's band, Warren Cuccarello. But he also was in a band called Missing Persons that I was a big fan of when I was a teenager. And he was in Duran Duran later on in life. And I was on the, the Ned Sharon show. I was on um, Loose Ends on a Saturday morning with Ned Sharon. And it was like a round table, like a live audience. It's still on the radio now, but Ned Sharon sadly has passed away. Yeah. And it had, um, had Sir Peter Hall was on, and uh, and uh, I can't remember the name of a huge filmmaker. <coughs> you right there, huge, Phil. Huge filmmaker, yeah. yeah. And it had it had Michael Adonaghy was there, and just the whole table. And then it had Simon Le Bon was on, and I was the comedy act, and I was like all the way around the other end because they, they they as the guests go around they become let become less and less well known, and I was going to be singing a song, and then. Sitting behind Simon Le Bon, like on another side of the room, was this bald guy, just with a guitar, um, and Simon Le Bon was going to play a song with this bald guy, and so when it got Simon Le Bon, after all these really famous people, Simon Le Bon goes, "Ned Sheeran, who's this behind you?" He goes, "Oh, that's my guitar player, Warren Cuccarello." And I, forgetting I was on live radio, went, "Oh my god! Oh my god! You're Warren Cuccarello! You are Warren. <laughs> this is Warren. Cuc- you're Warren Cuccarello! Oh my god! This is..." And everyone's looking at me like Ned Sheeran's going, "Uh, like don't." And I was going, "It's Warren Cuccarello from the Mother's Invention." Like, this is, oh, this, oh my god! You, you, I can't wait to tell my friends I met Warren Cuccarello. Warren Cuccarello, and I'm going on, and he's just smiling. And I'm going, "You're." You're you're the maybe the most famous person I've ever met. And I'm sitting at a table <laughs> full of famous people. Um, but uh, yeah, I've met Warren Cuccarello. All the So 
Phil, we've we've had more submissions again for our uh, comedy song competition. The contest. That's it. The competition. Um, and uh, the comedy song contest. The songs in the key of laugh comedy song contest. It's a competition which you can enter if you're if you're a budding. Well, you have to be a budding comedy songwriter. But we it's a contest with the prize money. There's prize money. I guarantee you, big money. Uh, send your. Songs You're guaranteeing in. big money, are you, Phil? Big money. <laughs> send, your, send your songs, comedy songs, into songs the key of laugh at gmail.com. And this week, the submission, uh, it does, it is about a horse. Yeah, it's called Horse Friend, and it is by Mark Johnson. <laughs> Nature has a deep connection that we humans have lost long ago. There exists an ancient wisdom that only the animals know. A horse frolics in the pasture, the morning still sparkles with dew. Would you join me if I asked you to dine at my table for two? I sneak up behind you and I tickle your ears You love when I show that I care And then I tell you a story while you munch from my hand About this wonderful world that we share Cruel horse, why do you tease me? Just tell me the things that you know But you must take it easy For this is only my first rodeo His manners so distinguished A wisdom so deep and profound My struggle it has finished My tears fall like rain to the ground You can sneak up behind me You must tickle my ears I need you to show that you care And you can tell me a story while I munch from your hoof About this wonderful world that we share Oh, you sneak up behind me, yes, you tickle my ears I love when you show that you care And you can tell me your stories while I munch from your hoof About this wonderful world that we share Fire parody game and if you've been listening to the podcast for all you know this might be the one of the trickier bits of the podcast to actually get through um <laughs> but we're speak we're for yourself phil honestly we're, we're sticking with it until the you know this season's over the quick fire parody game if you don't know is i give david a challenge david to come up with a quick fire parody for an i give him an artist's name and i give him the name of the song and then he comes up with a quick fire parody and then he does the same to me so david this week i thought it would be really tricky and give you dun, 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 tlc no scrubs <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a throwback um, what do you got so, do you know it So this is the quick fire parody game, and David's going to do TLCs, no scrubs. What do you got? What do you got? Okay. Uh, no thinking. Uh, no thinking. I don't want no bugs, because bugs are annoying, and they just keep biting me. And I 
don't want to buy spray because spray is expensive and that is... I, I saw a, it on TV. And I saw it on TV. You could have just gone no shrubs. <laughs> like a, like a, with a gardening theme. I don't want no shrubs. <laughs> Quick fire, quick fire, quick fire parody game. Okay, Phil, uh, your turn now. I would like you to parody the Prince song, When Doves Cry. (laughs) So you're going to parody it as quickly as you possibly can, it being a quick fire round, When Doves Cry. I'm not gonna leave you standing I'm gonna knock you out cold Maybe you think I'm demanding I think you're like your father Too slow Maybe you're just like your mother She didn't have a right hook (laughs) Why do we scream at each other? Cause this is what it sounds like when my gloves fly. <laughs> when my gloves fly. It's a, bo- a boxing. It's got in a boxing. Ah, uh, I, I would have, I would have gone with. I, this is what it feels like when dogs die, or something when your family dog dies. <laughs> no. Do you write comedy songs? Ever dream of being the next Tim Minchin? Or being Tim Minchin? That's weird. Yeah. Why not enter our Songs in the Key of Laugh comedy song competition and maybe appear on our podcast? With Tim Minchin. That's better. The Songs in the Key of Laugh comedy song competition. Enter today. Visit songsinthekeyoflaugh.com for details. Okay, so Phil, we did yeah. have an amazing time last <laughs> week. Or, <laughs> we yeah, had, a couple of weeks ago. It was very interesting. Yeah, we were we went to the the Chuckle Hut. It is the, the Chuckle Hut. That's Hutch. what he called Hutch Hutch. The Chuckle Hutch. Hutch. The Chuckle Hutch. Um, yes, it's did a, our first live uh, or in, in person interview interview for this this series of this podcast. And and it was at uh, it was really really touching actually. Yep, we met his, met his little dog. We Sarge. did meet his dog, and and we and and I had a jam with him as well, which was so so cool. Yeah. Um. So we're excited to present this interview with the wonderful Mister Rich Hall. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. Guest on today's show is someone you might know. And if you don't, that's your own fault. But you'll know them soon. This jingle has been personalized for a guest that we hope that you recognize. And this week their name is Insert Name Here. Rich Hall, it's Rich Hall, everybody. Hi, Rich. Now, Hi. You, you guys probably, <laughs> if you don't know Rich Hall before, you'll. Uh, there's so much I could tell you about the guy. Uh, well, he's appeared on. It's really. Uh, can I just say, we're just the first time we're doing this live. It's very weird. So doing normally, it in a we, room. normally we introduce you by going, "It's Rich Hall. He's been on. You wrote for David Letterman. He's on Saturday Night Live. He's got you know. He's just done and been there, done that kind of comedian." And then I go, "Hi, Rich," and you go, "Hi." But now you're right here. It seems weird yeah. giving you credits to your face. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> Just in case uh, your listeners don't know, now they do. Now they do. Well, you know, the thing is, it's not one of those things like, you know, in American comedy clubs where they go, this next ad, you, you've seen him on this. Yeah. It's not. It's just to put people in the frame of yeah. what they're about to hear. Yeah. Rich, Rich performs as a character, Otis Lee Crenshaw, who yeah. is a... Recidivist uh, yeah. convict from Tennessee, yeah. arrested on charges of... Uh, Trumped up charges of uh, possession of endangered coral, <laughs> married six times, all oh, to women named Brenda. Yeah, got a Brenda tattoo. I remember yeah, that. It's, yeah. like, it's big. Yeah. It's like right down one arm. Yeah. <laughs> no. So I, I remember when you invented that character um, because you played actually with uh, the Gadflies, who Mick, right. Mick Moriarty and Phil Moriarty, who are friends of mine, who I've also played with. Mick's, Mick yeah. and Phil have played in one of my shows as well. And they were your backing band. Was having them be convicts, did that have anything to do with the, the idea? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I just, uh, I, I ran into, I, you know, I worked with them a couple of times in, um, in Melbourne. Yeah. And uh, they were over for Edinburgh, and they were doing other shows, but they said, yeah, let's do this thing upstairs in the Gilded Balloon. And I just had this idea. I had about three songs yeah. and an idea for a character. So we uh, we figured we'd pad out the show with uh, guests. Yeah. So we got some, you know. I was on. I was yeah, on. I, I did yeah. it every day with Boothby Graffo. Yeah. If you remember. Well, we didn't do it every day. We did not We did it the days where you needed a guest because yeah. sometimes by the end of it, it was becoming quite exciting. And yeah. um, you were getting, I mean, you had, I mean, you had some pretty big guests. Yeah. Um, who's, the guy, who's the guy that does uh, come up and see me sometime? Um, Steve Harley. Steve Harley, yeah. He yeah, was, he, uh, he came on. He was not happy with the sound. He kept complaining about the sound. I thought, come on, it's like midnight. I think you want to believe. What do you want? I know. In an upstairs, like what used to be like an office yeah. or like our toilet. And I place. think George was our sound guy even back then. And he, yeah. didn't, he didn't put up with that. George is this pure Scotsman, right. Gandalf-looking guy. Do you know George? Yeah, I don't, George. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and he just, he's George. a great sound guy, but he's going to do what he does. And he... You know, yeah, he <laughs> doesn't matter. It's Steve with Steve Harley. Yeah, but I was I was thrilled to have Steve Harley on. Yeah, I remember. Well, we actually because we weren't on that show. Boothby Graffle and I did a prison um, cellmates called the Bucket Brothers. Yeah, and we just made stuff up, and yeah. it was pretty silly, David. And uh, and, <laughs> and Boothby Graffle was also a brilliant musical comedian. Yeah. and and that was the first time we worked with Otis Lee Crenshaw, and and then it went on. But then it then it became something like that. That run, remember, it became more and more successful. As as a late yeah, the, the next day. year became successful, and then... What year was that, the first year? I think the first year was about 98. Right. And then we did it in 99, yeah. and then in 2000, 
And then, and, and, and that's the year that you you won the Perry Award. He won, the, yeah, he won the Perry. He, yeah, he won yeah. the Perry. Yeah, yeah, you had to did. differentiate. Yeah, had Rich Holt has never won the Perry, yeah. ladies and no, gentlemen. No, no. <laughs> so you you said that you had like three songs that um that this kind of character was built around. Did you did you write these songs with the character in mind, or was yeah. the character the one that had written these songs? Um, I wrote them with the character in mind, and the character is just an amalgam of all my relatives in North Carolina and Tennessee <laughs> and Kentucky who, uh, who would show up once a year at Christmas and just <laughs> awful. Yeah, pure white trash, day-release type people. There's a lot of them in my family, and... Um, <laughs> I just so it's, it's, it was always easy for me to understand that character, you know. Yeah, it's real easy to be. I'm not great at at uh, impersonations or anything, but I can definitely do a southern voice. It's just yeah. It was lovely though because with, it was yeah. such a it's such a d- definite character for you as like as knowing you as Rich Hall and knowing what you do as a comedian as Rich Hall. Though Otis Lee Crenshaw was a very very much this character character piece like yeah. like mad. Like, yeah. like uh, exaggerated, yeah. a little bit mad. And the best thing about it was that I was not a good piano player. I think only started mm. playing piano maybe a couple years before. Mm. But it was built on a guy who doesn't understand why his songs are never being recorded. <laughs> <laughs> and they're about prison rape and, and bad lady sex. What was the one? There was one I remember about the toilet seat, the shining of the yeah, toilet yeah, seat. Yeah, yeah, like, he almost looks like you. He almost looks yeah. like you. <laughs> and, uh, but that was one of the original three. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. I remember, yeah. And I think by the end of the run we probably had six or seven songs because they just you know in that initial when you're initially building a new character like that or something it just it just floods you you all the ideas eventually of course you run out and i haven't actually done otis in probably eight years now okay and i kind of wonder if i don't even know if how he would come across now because he really was kind of I think there. I think there would just be too much backlash now. You know? I, I have to say though, I over the, over the last few weeks, I've um, knowing that we were going to interview you, I've watched quite a lot. And when we do interviews with people, I end up uh, sitting and listening to like full back catalogues of things. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of the stuff I can say is is dated and is done in a way that I don't think would necessarily be okay right now yeah. but I didn't get that feeling I didn't get that feeling with with that character yeah. I didn't I thought I thought because because you do it in a way that um I think it seems like so much of it is is improvised yeah. as well. But actually, having played with you, I, I I know that a lot of it is improvised. Yeah. The way that you do it, I I feel like you. It's not not getting away with it, but I feel like you. Well, I would say that the, you've got a verbal dexterity yeah. in the songs that allow that shows a cleverness underneath. The, yeah, it's not I just it's, think it's that, not just going for cheap punches. Yeah, no, no, right. never. Yeah. I mean, well, well, well <laughs> yeah, when you look back, I mean, yeah, probably some of it would be considered lowbrow now. But of course, mm. when you're in a character, as you know. Your character has a, view, a point of view of the world, and his point of view is that he's just not caught up with, say, the modern woke sure. church or anything. So sure. it's hard. To, I think a lot of people would just go, "Wow, this guy's." I think I could get away with a lot more stuff than I could. You probably, just, you probably could take this that character if he came back and yeah. make him like pro-Trump, sort of make him almost uh, make him almost uh, the voice of that, which allows yeah. him to say things. Yeah, you know, because. 
I mean, I don't know. I never try to be too political with with what with my comedy, and I don't think you are necessarily. You've done political rants, but yeah. you're not a political comedian in my no, mind. No. no, you're like you're a surrealist. And, yeah. Um, when you're writing, when you're writing these songs, so you're writing songs for Rich Hall now. Yeah, you, I think I, another thing is I feel like I just like Otis ran its course. Like, how much more can you just sing about depravity and you know mm, yeah. and, uh, breaking and entering in prison? And, <laughs> and to be honest, I really did want to improvise more. I wanted to like be able to write songs that were kind of um, had a template that the band has to learn. Yeah. But that you can push, you can push certain like personal uh, information from someone in the audience and put wedge it into the song. Yeah. The band has to know what to play, obviously. But I can like change the words around. So um, there's a lot of that in what I do now. And to be honest, I'm enjoying it more than Otis because I hated dragging that piano around. Right. <laughs> was, yeah. I refused to play something that wasn't weighted keys. So everywhere I went, I had to drag this thing, which. I now have something beside me, and it's just—I just thought, man, this is—you know—Otis isn't famous enough to have. He's not going to get famous enough to have a roadie and a crew. So this is just never going to end. So now you're doing more improv stuff, like when you play yeah. to the Cray Cray Cabaret, which was with, with the show that David and I uh, run at the Comedy Store every second Wednesday. Come and see it. Um, <laughs> you did a section on it though that was one. I'm not even sure what it, what was happening, but you were just completely riffing off something that happened in the audience. Yeah. But it but it, you turned it into a song. It became a mag- it became magical because it was like the band were just I could see David working to keep the band right, right. in tow, and then you even commented going out. You don't even know what they're playing. Like I'm yeah. not sure they you were even playing the same thing. It just sounded amazing. Um, is that is that a is that a just a set piece that you do of improv or do you try to do that for the whole like the whole show? Uh, no, no, there are set pieces. Like um, this show is called the Hoedown, and we've been touring it for about five years now. Right. Uh, the first half is what you would, is, is the old guy coming out ranting about the state of the world, okay. and that's good for forty five minutes or fifty. But you know, nobody wants to see <laughs> an old guy on stage for two hours. Just, just get over it, Grandpa. So the second half, and the first half is very much taken down America. I think it's very critical of America and Britain. The second half then sort of comes back and celebrates Americana. You know, yeah. the whole country music ethos. But we try to. My initial question, my initial point of view is why is country music just about, you know, the hardworking blue collar Americans? Why can't it be about you people? Mm. You know, you're a you're a, you know, graphic illustrator or you work in a yeah, you you work under the civil service. Come on, why didn't they get their songs? So (laughs) quite often there's a built in kind of joke about making a heroic song about a job that is clearly not heroic, you know. <laughs> right. And that's that's just very funny to me because, you know, you know, so many country songs are about yep. got miners, miners and yeah. truckers. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we get those guys and we do have those kind of songs that address what people do. I've got a lot of occupation songs now because I just found when I was talking to the crowd, you're going to get a lot of nurses and you're going to get a lot of um, right. uh, teachers and you're going to get... IT. Uh, IT, yeah. yeah. So I think I've been through three different IT <laughs> iterations, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, and when you have those and someone says, I do that, then suddenly it's like, wow, we got something for, you know, uh, gardeners. So mm. we have a huge catalog 
of um, rehearsed stuff that we know right. that just in that moment goes, oh, you're a gardener? Here's a song about guys who have died in lawn and garden accidents. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Which we, you know, is true. Yeah. And, uh, and do, they, do they start off those things? They all start off improvised. So, um, or, like, so if somebody does say, I'm an axe murderer, then it's you just go from, I'm an axe, you just go into it and... No. No. <laughs> no. Not really. Like, I think one of my inspirations when I think about it is it, w- it was Corky and the Juice Pigs because uh, Sean was yeah. astounding. I mean, yeah, he is, and yeah. and his guitarist. Uh, yeah. I'm the guitarist. Oh, you mean when he was when he was on his own solo? Oh, um, but that I mean Dylan, when Dylan I you. yeah when I used to watch that and he would as far as yeah. I could tell like yeah. completely off the cuff and yeah. I don't know how Dylan stayed up. I don't know what no. if Dylan was pushing it or if he who it was hard to say who was. Yeah. Pushing the song, yeah, like there was a a, a melody there, you know, mm. there was a structured song, yeah, and I'm sure a lot of times they got the same thing again. But uh, I well, that is that, that that is part of it though, is you do end up hearing the same things again. So. Yeah, but uh, Sean, you know, he had used similar words, but he yeah. hated repeating himself and yeah. hated repeating melodies and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think in a way I thought, God, that just looks amazing, mm. and I um, when you have a four piece band. You you've got to teach him. You, you got to teach him. Here's the frame of the song. Mm-hmm. Learn this, and yeah. I will put in the words, or else it would just be all over the place. Yeah, you know, unless but, you're doing jazz. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I guess. you, <laughs> you play with a guy called Rob Childs. Yeah, he's like a lap steel guitarist. Yeah, who uh, who's and played on one of my albums. Yeah, he did guy. your Phantom Three Hundred Nine. Warning of Greasy Fist Joe. Yes, oh, he's Greasy Fist Joe. He's, he's in the video. Yeah. <laughs> He also did uh, Hemophiliac Albino Cowboys, which was on last... That was on a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, last episode, yeah. yeah. Um, And what's it like playing... So you have a regular band that you've been playing with for a few years. Yeah, yeah, and they're they're pretty tight, you know, and so Mm -hmm. we um, constantly trying to come up with new stuff, and I'm constantly trying to think of uh, songs that that apply to the responses from the audience, you know. Not always about occupations, about how people met... I've probably written about 70 verses of a song about what kind of car a guy was driving when he met his wife. <laughs> and this could go back to like 50 years ago. Wow. So you're talking right. about, you know, Morrises and Miners and sometimes, you know. And as soon as I get a new car, I have to go home and think, all right, what are the, what are the possible rhymes? What are the rhymes? And uh, just trying to keep it all in my head, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, and you're banking on the fact that it's going to be a shitty car. Yeah. But sometimes you get goes, I had a Porsche. Yeah. Know? Well, this is not going to work. So then I had to go back and rewrite <laughs> uh, and start thinking about, well, what if he had a good car, like a Porsche or a BMW or something? Mm-hmm. And then you got to change the format a bit. Mm-hmm. And then you get guys who say, well, you didn't have a car. So then I had to write a song about a guy who just had shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so there are like two or three... Backups now for possible scenarios. Yeah. So, um, I, I, what I like is the challenge of, of constantly of being able to um, just address something with the least amount of information. You know, mm. hey, what kind of car are you driving? Or uh, you know, mm. where did you meet? Or um, right, right. So it's wide open. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also uh, because we go out on the road a lot, trying to write songs that are very local. 
right. which involves learning a lot of names of nearby towns. Yes, the river that runs through the town. But you write that when you get there to the at the town, or yeah. You, but or the song don't... is written like uh, almost every town we play. There is a really crappy river running through it. Right. Yeah. And so we have a song that's about the name of that river. And right. It ends up being about all the rivers in Britain and what weird names they yeah. have because they don't. They're not like the Kahuawasi or the you know. The nope. Mississippi or anything. They're like the Itchin. Yeah, or the Tay. The Ooze. The Tay. Yeah. The tay. yeah. yeah. You've got so the Isis as well yeah. going through. Yeah. <laughs> there's a where, there's a when, you, there's, a, there's a, a way, a when, a where, and a, um, a why. A why. River. Yeah. So there's a song right there. Yeah, so yeah. that's pretty much the last line. You, You're telling me there's a where, there's a when, and there's a where, a when, and a. Uh, a why? Yeah. No way. Where, where's the way? <laughs> no way. It runs through Surrey. So, but you wrote a. So you. I remember one of the first things I saw you do, and I. It might have been Otis. It must be Otis Lee who did it. But you took like a map of Scotland. It was a. Like, mm. uh, and you were just based because there's so many crazy named uh, towns in Scotland. Yeah. And you I, was it improvised or was it or was no, it written? No, not at all. But it was no, bas- no. it was basically like a I've been everywhere man type yeah, song yeah. where you just named. That's kind of was the um, inspiration for it. But rather than do a really fast song like that, which is just, <laughs> I mean, that's a very fast song. Yes. And it'd be impossible to remember all that. I know. Yeah, I saw you do play with Beer, Beer Got 100, Bill Bailey's uh, punk band, and you did The End of the It's the End of the End World of the World as World We Know. Yeah. yeah. And you nailed it. Yeah. You did every word of that song. So yeah. you could do it. Yeah. But we <laughs> slowed all- it down because I think... Um, also, the um, scared, weird little guys used to do "I've Been Everywhere," based on Australian Australia. towns. Australia, yeah, I and that. so I didn't want to just do that. So I okay. just kind of took the towns that kind of um, almost sounded like part of a word. Mm. You know, uh, it was a Scottish uh, cheating song. Uh, right. It was "Baby, I've Been Reading Your uh, Phone Bill," and I got to, who the hell is. Uh, Clyde Bank, you know. <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah. We had a song about the underground, and then we had one about Ireland, which which ended up being about a woman who's eaten too much. Poured her down that tub of curry. Because <laughs> what I'm saying is, you ain't trim. So, no, I couldn't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I, I know. know, it's really funny. It's still funny, though. You know what? It's not, You can't. You can't do it, but it's... Yeah. You can, but, uh, you know, I don't really buy into the... I mean, you know, there's mm-hmm. a juggernaut of, of, of change going yeah. on now, and mm-hmm. I always figured it, they were going to come after comedians, and we've always gotten away with stuff that nobody else can get away with. Yes. And now it's just got to be, now you just got to be a little bit more careful about what you can get away with. Well, yeah. I, and you also got to be aware that in the room, most of those people are buying it. They're, yeah. You know, they're with you. Yeah. It's when it gets into the other world, you know, p- taken out of context and be, well, blah, 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 why is he making yeah. fun of so-and-so? It's just... Yeah. We're from we're from a generation. Well, I mean, you're from you 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 predate me slightly, but you were from a generation where <clears throat> almost like you know where the, we knew where the line was, and stepping over it was part of the fun. And then so yeah. that was that. You so for the people in the room, you're like, oh, step the line. But now it feels like you've got to know where the line is, and you go to it, and then you, yeah. you stick there. And it doesn't seem to be as free or as fun. Um, but maybe that is a necessity. But I don't know. If you feel the slightest tinge of guilt. <laughs> about it. Sure. You know, you should probably sure. I mean try it out, but you know sure. uh 
don't, you know, you got to be, it depends on, you know, how big an audience is things you can do in a club. You can't do on TV, you know, because yeah. someone on TV is going to get upset. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I don't really want to, I don't know. I don't really even read, go on Twitter or anything. Mm. So personally, it wouldn't bother me. Right. I and mean, people come and go, Hey man, you screwed up. You're all over Twitter. I go, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if it started canceling gigs, yeah, then yeah. all right. You know, this mm. is, but that is that is that, that's, that's part of it. There's always been a challenge. It's always been a challenge to like stay ahead of the game. You know, mm. that's what you have to do as a comedian. So I'd really like to ask you about your comedy influences. So you said that you liked the Juice Pigs before. Yeah. Is there anybody else that you know at the beginning of your career, or even when you were growing up, that you listened to and you thought that's something funny, that's something I want to do? Yeah. Uh, I mean, just basically, my dad had a, a great sense of humor. He was a pretty rough guy, you know, and pretty much of a redneck, but he just loved most of the comedy on TV. Hmm. Even when I would come into, you know, the living room and he'd be watching Monty Python mm-hmm. and uh, the two Ronnies and um, uh, Reginald Perrin. Hmm. Like, they got those shows on PBS in America. And that just... And he loved that stuff, you know. He was just laughing like crazy at Monty Python. This is a guy who was like was a welder, a welder. He's been in a ditch all day. <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, he went to work the next day and told his buddies, oh, I was watching this British Monty Python. What's wrong with Archie Bunker? But he watched that too. And uh, so I watched all those comedy shows growing up and... Never really, when I look back now, I think uh, some of these guys were not as funny as others. But mm. but there were very few comedians that I didn't want to watch, you know. Even Red Skelton and people like that who now I go, oof, oof. But it was just all funny. And my dad kind of uh, endorsed it by merely having it on TV. So um, I also happened to have no idea what I was going to do. I was working on a newspaper in Tennessee and um, writing um, slot notices, which are obituaries. Okay. Uh, I had a journalism degree. Right. And I got this job, and I thought, this is my career. I'm going to be a journalist. I'm going to write stories. Huh. And I ended up in Knoxville, Tennessee, just basically at night putting together information about dead people, like, wow. a, like a magpie of death. Wow. And just, you know... Uh, which is which is crazy thing is pre-internet just you know oh, so yeah, it's like you yeah. couldn't just Google stuff. You no, had to no, research. everybody on the paper would come in and throw matchbook covers and and napkins and envelopes with bits of information about some, someone dead that they'd picked up. Right. So I had to put all that together. Whoa. And then <laughs> send these people off into the afterlife who I'd never met, and at night, oh, and it was only so me. <laughs> it was only me and a couple of copy editors, and then everybody in the um, composing room, which was upstairs, which was like unbelievably loud like a war like these huge linotype machines and half the people who worked there were were deaf before they were hired they actually hired deaf people Uh, there were a lot of deaf people who worked uh, composing machines back then because they were so loud and it was just horrible and I thought I can't do this how old were you then? 22 22 yeah. when did you start doing comedy? well I quit I, I saw a preacher um at the University of Tennessee with a loud hailer and he looked like Robert Mitchum. He had a, like a yeah. white linen suit and, a, and a, he, he had a loud hailer and he would just get students together and go, all you women, 
Oh, you went, I don't know why there's so many whorehouses in this town when you co-eds are giving it away for free. <laughs> and you would get this crowd, and the crowd would be vicious. Wow. But there was nothing they could say to this guy that he hadn't heard before. <laughs> and I was stood out. I went outside to watch him, and, like, there was a great moment where he said, uh, he was just quoting the Bible, and he said, so-and-so, as it says in Jeremiah, and somebody sure enough went, bullfrog, and he went, thank you. And he, went, he knew... He knew every like you have never seen anyone who could who who was just so used to being heckled that they had a response for everything. Wow! And uh, <laughs> I just thought he was astounding. I mean, he was obviously you know, and this is eighteen and nineteen year olds, and some of them are like uh, kind of listening to him, and that's disturbing. But, yeah. But um, I went up and talked to him, and he was just like, uh, so I do two hundred fifty colleges a year. He's still going. His name is Jed Smock. All he does is college campuses. Wow! And I went back upstairs, and I just thought. Wouldn't it be funny if he'd gotten all these, you got all these people together, and then after about five minutes, just as they're about ready to, you know, hate you, you just pull the rug out from under them, and it turns out you're just being a, sending up yeah. a, uh, an evangelist. Yeah. And you're making fun of them. And every college knew this guy, so um, I, I just said, I'm going to be a street performer. I'm going to baptize dogs. Uh, and that's what I did. I baptized dogs. That's I'd amazing. Get, I got a suit, and I, I got a picture of the dogs playing poker and dog <laughs> treats. And sure enough, hey, there was always a dog. Yeah. Once Sooner or later, a dog would come up. Sure. And I'd just get him to come up, and I'd basically just, you know, and improvise that, a lot. You, and then pour the water over him and say, reject Satan. And, of course, the dog goes, So there was an automatic payoff every time. And... Then I put out the bucket and then just yeah. go to the next town. And so I was a street performer for like a long, long time, like two and a half years. Okay. That's amazing. And that kind of evolved into a, eventually got rid of the preacher guy and I was just doing sketches and stuff. And uh, so that was my start. So by yeah. the time I got on a real stage, it was like, what? Ready-made crowd? Really? Yeah. And how old were you then? Like, that I was, was about 24. 20. Yeah, so wow. So you'd been actually doing, performing in a style, in a way, for a couple of years before you got anywhere near Oh, God, yeah, stage, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, and and, but it, wasn't, I got and to, it wasn't stand-up. It was like a sketch and sketch No, but it was. But, um, so I'd go into uh, coffee houses. Uh, I went into one in um, uh, Tempe, Arizona, and uh, uh, everything, was, the colleges were shutting down for Christmas, and um, I just thought, well, I got to get out of this college racket. This is like a big inside joke, you know. Yeah. The people at the colleges get it, but a crowd at a club, you know. Um, Carlin was huge. Steve Martin had taken off. And so it was like, to be a comedian at that point was like perfect. It was like, you know, wow, comedy is like huge now. You know, it really had skyrocketed. So there were some clubs in New York and L.A. That was about it. You know, the comedy store and the improv in New York. And um, so that's where I ended up. And But uh, I was just started taking stuff from the stand-up, from the uh, uh, street performing and just adopting it to stage, you know. Amazing. And how, how long was it until... Um, until you ended up on on TV with it, was it was that was it Saturday Night Live? Was that no, no? My first time on TV was um, I got hired to write on the Letterman show. Yeah, okay. From an audition in New York, where uh, the guy who started Bud Friedman, he just said uh, the Letterman people. He started a morning show. Letterman people are coming in. They're looking for writers. Get your six eight minutes of your A material. Uh, you know, I don't have much uh, faith in you, but uh, I'm putting you on the <laughs> showcase. And so. Um, 
we were working it out during the week and this and like Seinfeld, Larry David, Carol Leifer, Larry Miller, they were all in the showcase. Mm. And so wow. we'd all go up. We went up for two or three nights and we ran our eight minutes and it was just like everybody's good. I'll be if I'm as good as these guys, fine. I'm not going to be better than them, but like we're all good. Mm. And the stand up isn't going to work. And uh, I went out and um, I used to do this crazed Vietnam vet some nights <laughs> who would knock on the side door at the improv yeah. and just with a pizza and yeah. a, 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 a army jacket. And yeah. he was just a burnt, he was just a stressed out vet, Vietnam vet. <laughs> and I wouldn't, I was supposed to do like my 20 minute set, but I would spend the whole 20 minutes trying to make someone pay for this pizza. <laughs> and just sitting, you know, so I didn't even, I just went right across the stage and right into the audience. And I just said, did you, did you order this pizza? You look like a guy. Were you in the, were you, were, did you serve in Vietnam? No, no. So you, oh, daddy got you out. Yeah. So anybody who dodged Vietnam would dodge paying for a pizza. Pay for it. And, uh, and soon, eventually, yeah. someone would just, all right, fine, we'll pay for your pizza. And, and uh, I did it, but um, I knew Letterman was in the audience, and I ended, I just, you know, worked it out so that I ended up basically making him pay for the pizza. pizza. Wow. And, uh, and Meryl Marco was the um that's head, pretty ballsy. Sorry, that's pretty ballsy to make well, Joe David yeah. Letterman pay for the pizza. Yeah, that's yeah. a choice. And he did. He did. Yeah, somebody at the table paid for it. Yeah, that, that is, that is yeah. huge, though. That's, that's, that's was, I'm going straight to you. Yeah. I'm getting no, I that my way up to it. Yeah, right. I was working my way up to it. Yeah. And um, there was a guy with a big Lacoste with an alligator on his shirt, and I remember just <laughs> going, uh, uh, "Yeah, crocodile on your shirt." I remember crocodiles are in the Mekong River. Um, <laughs> took off my buddy's toe. He gave his toe for freedom. And he got the nerve to knock me, to mock me. And um, we got back to, uh, so Meryl is right at the end of the table, and she's a head writer. And I rem- literally remember this. I, I got up to her and I went, ma'am, did you order this pizza? And she went, why do you keep calling me ma'am? And I went, uh, did you order this pizza? Because I used to, I remember, you know. Sitting, I used to, I sit outside my trailer at night with my Marlboros, and I'm watching Fireflies. Remember Fireflies? Yeah, <laughs> their innocence. You know what they remind me of now? And she went, something traumatic, I expect. <laughs> and I went, That's right, incoming, <laughs> incoming. And um, and then she says, uh, then she says, and everybody heard her. She said, let me ask you a question. She said, if you're in the Mekong River, why would you get attacked by a saltwater crocodile? <laughs> And I went, what? <laughs> and she, she went, a freshwater crocodile with it. And I went, I don't know, man. Maybe it was an invasive species that I didn't have time for because I was worried about a more fucking invasive species than fucking Viet Cong. And it's like, that was just it. fucking, yeah. And that nailed it. So they hired me as a writer. And this is the morning show. And it was like, what are we doing? They had no idea. They had no idea what they were doing. 90 minutes to fill in the morning. They canceled all these game shows. People were angry. They're writing, where's the fucking Hawaiian holiday giveaways? Because right. we had, like, they started stupid pet tricks, you know, and mm. all kinds of stuff like that. And, and um, so we got this kind of college following and kind of hip following for a live morning show. Sure. But within about four shows, they said, oh, you got to go on and do something. So... We didn't care because it was yeah. morning and we already yeah. figured nobody's watching this. Yeah, right. So I got really used to going on live TV like right away. Yeah. You know. That's, that's an amazing well, that's story. Yeah. And so ballsy. Yeah. 
as well. I, 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 I see you, and you are the person mm-hmm. that I need to impress, yeah. and yeah. I'm going to end up at you. Well, I was just kind of thinking, you yeah, know, if I don't lose. get it, I don't get it. Yeah, it's right. Like, you yeah. know. I'll yeah. just give it a shot because everybody else is coming out here. And Larry Miller came out and did his uh, six stages of drinking or something. Yeah. So, of course, they're rocking it. They're ripping it, yeah. But I think they were watching that going, well, you know, we don't. that's not what we need. No. What we need is somebody who can just come up with crap every, every damn day. <laughs> every, yeah. Just come up with, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, yeah. And you've been doing that. I mean, you and you've been doing that ever since, really. Yeah, yeah. Not come up with crap every day. But, oh, a lot of it was crap. But how did you end up going from... From that, from your career in the states, to how did you end up in Britain, and how did how did that end up leading to to Otis Lee and the music? I came over here because uh, I was playing a lot of clubs in America, but um, I, I had these books out that were really popular called Sniglets mm-hmm. that were right. um, words that should be in the dictionary that that aren't. Yeah, and still available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you can probably still find them, okay. and they hit like. They went to, like, number... Never went to number one. The Rand McNally Road Atlas beat me every week. But, <laughs> but one of them went to number two. One of them went to number eight. There were about six of them. And over yeah. about a four- or five-year period, I was writing them. And, uh, but I'd, so the clubs would go, so Rich Hall, inventor of Sniglets. But they never worked on stage. Right. I just couldn't make them work on stage. Right. They basically were just neol- neologisms, you know? But you had to read them. Yeah, yeah, better, like better car perpetuation, the act of running your vacuum cleaner over a piece of string or lint eight times and then picking it up, looking at it, putting it back down, giving the vacuum cleaner one more chance. <laughs> so it, was just, it was the kind of stuff that, that an observational comedian could you know, could make a joke out of. But right. I just said, no, that's the word for that. Mm. And so the clubs were just going, Rich Hall, I'm going to understand these people were like, packing in and they start yelling sniglets sniglets and i could never make i just couldn't make them work on stage you know hey what do you call it when it just wasn't yeah right so it was awful it was like (laughs) it was weird because you know i was making a great living i'm filling clubs i'm doing stand up on you know letterman and tonight show and stuff but uh but the clubs themselves were like i said would you just don't say sniglets and they go well we got to sell seats Mm. So just, you know, don't do them. But we're, we're saying that you're the guy who invented Sniglets. Wow. And uh, I was in Montreal, and a girl named Marlena Zwickler came up to Marlena. me. Marlena. Yeah. And she just, she never, she, 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 her glasses never fit on her face. Always <laughs> pushing them up. She comes up, and she goes, uh, she goes, uh, what are Sniglets? Because I saw you at this place called Jimbo's. And in Jimbo's, I was trying to work my set out for the, uh, the gala but it was like, Sniglets, and I went, oh, screw this, uh-huh. you know. So it was awful. I just basically, it was crap. But then I did my set the next night on the gala, and she was at that, and she went, boy, that was night and day. What are Sniglets? And I went, ah, fuck, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> and she says, well, you're either, in, you know, there's a thin line between a rut and a groove, and uh, you should come to Edinburgh. And like an idiot, I went, what does that pay? <laughs> that's not the question you should be asking no. you should be asking how can I revive my fucking moribund career uh, and, uh, and she said just uh, put an hour together and uh, I yeah because I'd been to Edinburgh a year before for VH1 to cover it and I got to Edinburgh and it was great and then I started getting work after that and it just seemed like um, nobody here gives a shit about Sniglets and like I can try anything you know mm. I don't have this persona that I had in America of oh we have certain I, I was kind of a prop comic actually in America yeah, right. I had a lot of pieces of plexiglass and I had weird props and uh, 
when I got to Britain, I just thought I'm going to ditch that and just do stand up. And then seeing people like Bill Bailey and Phil Kay. I remember Phil yeah. Kay used to host the uh, the late and live stuff, and you yeah. know, Phil, Phil was like just made it all up. Just yeah. would, would never yeah. repeat himself twice. Yeah, yeah. And it was just a whole different approach to comedy. And there was no two-drink minimums. There was no, right. you know, right. cheese jalapeno poppers at the, <laughs> the clubs, you know. I mean, yeah. I was just basically sick of the clubs. And there weren't a, the idea of playing theaters back then was just involved a lot of running for airports and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just really, and I think also people in Britain, they just kind of got it, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and But America had kind of had that... Um, you know, Catch a Rising Star was like this massive comedy club, but like a chain comedy club that had become huge, like too big, when it when it's just not fun anymore. It's just yeah. like pumping out. You're on a conveyor belt. Yeah. And Great Britain had so. With the reason we came here is because we the same thing. We arrived and went through Karen Corn and realized, oh, this is great because no yeah. one cares. First of all, they don't know who we are. Yeah. They don't care. And they're then they're into it for the funny, and it didn't have that kind of. Yeah. You know, the the biggest club was the Comedy Store. It was only one club. Was, yeah. Uh, the amazing. clubs. There were clubs in America who would pay. $200,000 to call themselves the Improv or Catch a Rising Star. So mm. to use that brand mm. and get to put up a sign. And I just thought, what? You're selling the club. Why aren't you selling? If you have a great show every week, people are going to come back. Yeah. yeah. And there were clubs like that, uh, but they weren't uh, franchise clubs. They were just, you know, uh, just one, you know, there was a place in Raleigh, North Carolina. It was just great because they just got the best people. And the crowd knew it was going to be a good show. And they never tried to, you know, branch out yeah. or call themselves anything other than... It was called Charlie Goodnights. It was a great club, right. you know. Um, uh, Catch Rising Star had a TV show, and suddenly that was the name of the thing. And it kind of t- TV comedy kind of ruined I think stand-up Actually, comedy. I think you're talking about the improv. The improv, is it? The yeah. improv had Evening at the Improv. Evening at the Improv, right. So they had clubs all over. Um, they started out in New York. But... That show was a strip show that running every night, putting on three or four comedians five nights a week. Yeah. So they were putting on comedians who would then show up at the Improv on Melrose Avenue in L.A. and say, eh, can I go on? And go, no, you're not good enough. But I was on the show. Oh. I was on the TV show. Yeah, yeah, you're on the TV show, but you're not good enough to go on that stage in front of 30 people. Right. Yeah. So that's right. when you knew it was just, it was, and it was all going to crash you know, so, but you you said so. You said that you'd come, you'd done Edinburgh, and you thought this is this is different, and this is something that I really really like. Um, so when did you then did you then move down to London, or did you? Did, what, what? Well, I went back to the states, but I'd come back over and do like a three month tour, Marlene, and put a lot of stuff together. That's when, and when I realized that every town has a theater. Hmm. Yeah, every town of if it's got six thousand or more people in it has a theater. Hmm, yeah. And you just go up the road and play it. You can be home in your own bed a lot of the same nights, you know? You're not sitting there with three comedians over the damn weekend going to the mall, you know? Yeah. yeah. There's an old joke about the lineup for clubs in America is there's the MC, who's generally a local guy, so he's got all the inside references, so mm-hmm. he usually does pretty good. The middle act, who really struggles, and then the headliner, and you do 45 minutes, and then they put the check down on the table while you're on stage, so everybody has to pay up while you're still doing your act. And basically what happens is the uh, the rest of the week when you're not on stage, the uh, the middle act and the uh, MC follow you around at the mall and watch you buy stuff. <laughs> 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 it was, it's, 
kind of depressing, you know. It's, <laughs> it's really depressing. It is depressing. <laughs> Despite the fact it's it's there, you know, there are tons of comedians in America who are really good who do, that's what they do. They do forty clubs a year sure. and they know what they're doing and they're perfectly happy with it. And I just um I just really like the whole British approach. I think you're treated with more respect, you know. I never got a review in my life until I got to Edinburgh, and suddenly, what, you're reviewing comedy? Really? You went, yeah, why not? Mm. People laughing at you, you just think, yeah, I'm funny. But then, every, every once in a while, you have someone tell you why you are funny, or why you're not funny. Yeah. yeah. And when they tell you why you are funny, funny. you go, yeah, yeah. nailed it. <laughs> Sometimes they tell you things about yourself that you had no yeah. idea, <laughs> or even, you know, basically review just initially describes your overall persona, you know. Does does a does a bad review affect you? Mm. Um, not nah, uh, no, not really. Usually, the bad reviews I got were badly written, and they were yeah. just you know, <laughs> yeah. of course, yeah. yeah. I think there was sure. a magazine in Edinburgh, the local their version of Time Out. I forget the name of it, but they always seemed to have it in for me. But it was always being the American comedian uh, yeah. is very slick, <laughs> and that was that's something I noticed. Is that if you're too slick in this country, they don't, you know, yeah. you aspire to slickness in America. You aspire yeah. to those tight six-minute talk show spots, you know. And when you come over here, you have to be a bit, they don't quite trust that, you know. They just think you're just phoning it in, you know. Yeah. Mm. You have to disguise it a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you make a mistake, it's like, what? Like, I don't know how to get out of this. And people laugh at they They can see that you're struggling. But if you're still confident... You know, I mean, late in live was a that was the litmus test for whether you belonged in yeah. Edinburgh or not. You know, yeah, yeah. Of course, your own, your own shows you're going to do probably a structured show. Yep. Late in live, man, you just had no idea what was going to happen, mm. and they either loved you or they hated you. Mm. Yeah, you know, Mike Wilmot always makes fun of me for having a guitar because he's a he's an amazing comedian but he also calls it a cheat stick he goes do you get your cheat stick with you phil can i have yeah. your cheat stick and i obviously i keep bringing it up on this podcast because it obviously irritates me but yeah i bet he doesn't say that to you, you. are scott uh, no no <laughs> nah, he doesn't say it to me because he's seen me he's seen me spend hours at the piano plink 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 and he just he sees all the frustration that would go into because i'm if I'm really rehearsing something and anything happened, what? What? <laughs> I haven't eaten in three days. I got kids, you know. <laughs> I haven't eaten today. I, no, I think your music's great, okay? So I, as a musical comedian, and because the podcast is about musical comedy, the, the thing that stands out, though, and if you can take the compliment, is that the songs are great, though. The songs work as songs. They, yeah. they, work, they work melodically. They're nice to listen to. You have the voice that you have, and you play the style that you play. Yeah. Um, but you know, I was thinking like JJ Kale or um, I don't know, like just there's a whole raft of, yeah, of writers. Have, John Prine is like a whole. Well, raft. John Prine is a huge influence. I mean, aspire to, to the lyrics, right? The way a lot of good country singers, not all country singers, a few country singers, mm. troubadour, the Americana types, like sure. John Prine and people like that. Loudon Wainwright, if you yeah. call him country, Tom well, Waits, yeah. Uh, all and all and all all funny though. Like uh, no, they can oh, no. be funny, yeah. But John Prine, let's John talk. Prine let's talk. Is, let's talk dirty in Hawaiian. Yeah, yeah. quite a few guys like that who can write a great comedy song. But they all I've read interviews with these people, and they're all a bit scared of them. They're all worried that that uh, the comedy song is is they're going to be seen as a 
comedian no, novelty more than a serious musician right. and I never really had to worry about that mm. I just wanted to do I just want to write comedy songs but sure. I want them to be uh, musically worthy you know yeah. and my influences are really good songwriters mm. yeah. so in the sense of finding the right turn of phrase that's all it is you know yeah. and finding the right thing to say and Boothby I think when I started out Boothby just gave me something he says you, you, you gotta finish these songs he says you're just bailing after the last joke right yeah, the yeah, last yeah. big laugh you just bail yeah. finish it out people will listen to the last few lines of a song yeah. and not it doesn't have to be a huge payoff on the last word the last phrase of a song sure. you've nailed it you know and seeing people like Flight of the Concords and Bill Bailey and people like that there wasn't anything like that in America. Everybody in America was a, guitar, a guy with a guitar and coming up and doing American Pie. Yeah, sure. Doing a sin of American Pie that lasted longer yeah. than the actual And American just doing a parody. Yeah, just doing a yeah. dumb parody. Yeah. So, of course, you would. And I think, you know, I think Mike feels a bit like that. He's seen too many hacks sure. come up and just send up sure. and, and watching them kill. You know, because yeah. they will. They'll oh, kill. well, of course, because there's that instant recognition. Yeah, that's why we play the uh, the quick fire parody game on the show. A for two reasons: two because it's easy to change the word of a song. Yeah, but also because there's something about writing um, an original comedy song. I mean, those artists that we were talking about. That I actually more moved by an artist like Loudon Wainwright who who I think writes great comedy songs, but some yeah. of his serious songs are, yeah, well, are deeply touching. Deeply yeah, and it can go back and forth. Do you write any? Do you write some serious I have never stuff? written a serious song. I've got a... Are you sure? Like, you have not one that... Not, like, that you, I have songs, written, so I have you, comedy you, songs that are not funny enough to play on stage. Yeah. But um, in the right circumstances... Uh, People really like them, right? And they go, "Why don't you do that on stage?" I'm like, it just that never doesn't worked. work. Doesn't you work. Punchlines. Yeah. yeah, I have a song called "Atheist Cowboy," which is um, just uh, I don't want to change it now. I could probably make it funnier, but I really just like the way it goes. I think I did it on Boothby's um, podcast yeah. once. Like, it, I think I've done it a couple Would times. Would you play it here? I could, but oh, <laughs> well, we were going to ask you to play something. Oh, yeah. Well, you can play whatever you want. Oh, okay. I'll figure out something. Okay. Um. So, so Rich, we now have the we now have Rich Hall being the stand up in Edinburgh and going to and from um, America back to the UK. And where does the music come into it? Um, I invented Otis on a, a chat show in Melbourne with a girl named Linda Gibson, who is a comedian who's since passed away. But I always had this eye. I'd had this idea for Otis, I mean, just as a character, and um, just to come out and, you know, kill five minutes on some late-night chat show in front of an audience. It wasn't TV or anything. It was a late-night chat show. And I thought, i got to have some ending. So um, I sang, I thought, I'm going to sing, I just don't know what to do with myself. Right. Which is, um, yeah. yeah, it's a Burt Backrack song. It's a Burt And uh, I just thought I would, I'm just going to change one line and... Uh, Darling, if your new love ever lets you down, call me, his body won't be found. That's the only <laughs> thing I changed. Like I did the whole song. Seriously, they had a little combo, and I just did I just changed that one line that was fit the character. And after that, I just thought, well, I don't want to come out and do parody songs. And I thought, what if he's, what if he's just a failed musician, mm. frustrated musician? 
and I started teaching myself the piano. And I don't know, I think the true influence was I always, my true influence in even being a comedian more than anyone was Tom Waits. Right. And if you look back at Otis and that voice, mm. you'll definitely see the Tom Waits connection. Yeah. Really gravelly. I could do that, you know. Mm. And uh, um, I always kind of thought, man, because he, he made me want to be a comedian, Tom yeah, Waits. I saw funny. him opening for Bonnie Raitt uh, when I was street performing in Arizona. And he just, I didn't know who he was. Yeah. And his, you know, patter. Yeah, between songs, he he was a comedian. Well, he did that Fernwood tonight in the classic yeah. line. I'd ra- rather have a bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. Yeah, which is like a, people know that phrase. Yeah, that's a, that's a Tom Waits joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's amazing. And after I, and that was always in the back of my mind, like could could I could I write something vaguely Waitsian, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, I give it a try. Yeah. And that's what Edinburgh was for, you know. Yeah. I was doing my regular stand-up show, and then I at late I'd do something else late at night. Yeah. What if, you know, 20, 30 people, just give it a shot. hmm And it was really, really uh, exhilarating, you know. It was. Well, we had fun. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't a big part of it. I was just a little part of it, but I, we, we look forward to it every day. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun to watch. I look, I, look, I was looking forward to it more than my regular I show. I think that's part of what, what happened to that. This your excitement about it was, yeah. took over the whole thing. It just became funnier and funnier and funnier. So yeah. The more you got, really got into it. So yeah. I also became a smoker because of that, because I decided Otis was going to smoke. I didn't smoke. All right. <laughs> but, man, I was starting to look forward to that cigarette every night. <laughs> Two or three of them during the show. And yeah, now, that, 60 a day. <laughs> yeah, no, now, now I'm off of them, but I'm on these vapes. But yeah, no, that was that was horrible. But, you know, that's... Yeah, Suffering for your art. Yeah, you suffer for your art. So, that, I mean, that's, that's fascinating insight into your into your world rich thanks for that but we all we ask our guests to uh play a play a number or play a song sure um anything you want i know ones i want to hear but we'll just um i have also seen though that, that you've got a keyboard here so I'm, join I'm, us i might i might jump on that yeah, see, cover see my happens. mistakes i will i will <laughs> gladly attempt to yeah, like, that's <laughs> why you I cover will, mine that's why i play with them so he makes me sound good yeah yeah all right all right, growing. Uh, I don't know that there's ever going to be a famous British country singer because Brits don't really have the country music names, you know? No one's going to buy an album from Thurston Pifflewhite. Uh, there was one... Uh, there's one Brit had the perfect country and western name. Could have been a huge country star, but fate intervened, and this is called The, uh, the Ballad of Travis Perkins. Perkins was the son of a builder. Daddy's advice was all too familiar. He said, life is hard, son. Work is tough. Do 95% of the job, that's good enough. Few loose fixtures, missing door. Son, you always got to leave the people wanting more. In other words, son, keep it sloppy. See my name and lights. 
Saturday night at the Grand Old Opry. Well, his daddy rolled his eyes and said, Travis, son, you must have rocks in your head, which if you mix with mortar, makes an excellent exterior cladding. Cannot believe that they were here. No, thanks, thanks, Rich. Rich, thank um, you so, thank you so, so much. much. It's thank you so for uh, giving uh, that that um, that look into your early life as well. I really uh, enjoyed listening to them. 
Goodbye, adios, farewell. You'll be glad to hear that we think that your interview went well. But we have other things to get on with now, so you're gonna have to go. I'm sure our paths will cross again, but whoever really knows. It's been fun, it's been musical, it's been comical at times. But now we have to leave you, so goodbye. Goodbye! Well, man... Oh, it's, we're so lucky to be talking to people like Rich Hall on this podcast, Songs in the Key of Laugh with Phil Nickel and David Timms. Um, if you guys, please keep listening. We want to do more of these. We want to keep it going. We're getting to the end of the series. It's been so uh, wonderful and edifying to be talking to these great comedy songwriters, but I hope that you're enjoying it as much as we are. I think we've learned quite a lot as we've been doing it, Phil, yeah. as well. Yeah. Since since the first episode up to now, I think we've found a bit of a groove and uh, we're really enjoying it, if so please keep listening. If there's anything you guys want us to uh, talk about or discuss or you've got any little gems of things that you that we might not know of, feel free to write to us at songsinthekeyoflaugh at gmail.com and let us know and give us some feedback. If you want to see more or hear more of Rich Hall, he's on tour with the Rich Hall Hoedown Deluxe. Go to the offthecurb.com website for tickets and dates. Please also keep on sending us in your wonderful comedy song submissions for the Songs in the Key of Love comedy song competition. And as always, if you want to support the podcast with me and David, then join us at patreon.com forward slash songs in the key of laugh or coffee.com songs in the key of laugh i'm david timms and i'm phil nickel thanks guys thank you bye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.